How many of you in this room needed to hear Danny say everything's going to be all right about 20 times? <laughs> so you're not alone. You're not alone. I needed to hear it myself. And uh, that, as we, Paul's written this letter to the church at Corinth because they've had a bunch of questions, have a bunch of issues that have gone on inside the, the community of the believers, the community of the believers. And so he's like checking this list off and he's going through them. He's done the whole marriage and sex and everything else and remarriage and divorce. And, and there's people in here that are like going, they're, they're talking to me specifically. Well, I think what Paul deals with are pretty common problems. Uh, that happen even in the church today. And so if you're sitting there today thinking that this passage or even my uh, notes or anything like that is directed specifically at you, you're probably incorrect. Because sometimes uh, everybody's not all right. And we just need to be assured that you're going to be all right. So just hang with me today, and uh, we'll get through this talking about uh, food for a little bit. And then Paul is probably trying to affirm his, his ministry. So we're going to pick up where we left off. We finished chapter 7. Chapter eight's pretty short in 1 Corinthians, and I'm going to start right there. It's kind of interesting that uh, he talks about food and idols in chapter 8, then in chapter 9, he just goes someplace totally different. But then he comes back to the food and idols in chapter 10. We're not going to get that far today. But uh, he's really sitting there trying to say, is that me? He's saying, uh, there's a theme about this that still like, unplug and plug it back in. That did it. Doesn't sound like it. Uh, but these chapters, it just kind of ties them all together to say to the fellow believer that um, what you're doing is you need to be conscious about it. Don't act against your conscience. And so we'll start in verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now about food sacrificed to idols... We know that we have all we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Now, that whole statement that he said right there, we all have knowledge, it's just another Corinthian slogan. Remember a couple chapters ago when he said, All things are permissible, but not all things are profitable. That was a slogan that was used by the secular world, and he brought it into Christian wisdom. It's the same thing that he's doing right here when he says, we all have knowledge. That was a slogan that was being used by the Corinthian world, and they were familiar with it. But you and I, and Paul knows there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. People can have knowledge, book knowledge, biblical knowledge, but they might not necessarily have great wisdom. And so when he's talking about that right here, 
he's talking about uh, we all have it. Does it really matter if you have knowledge? Because knowledge can just be puffed up. In other words, you know people who know it all. And they want to let you know that they know it all, but they don't have a lot of wisdom in how to listen and share what they know at the right time. I think that uh, as we go through this message this week, the timing of it is, is everybody wants to share their knowledge about what's happening this week. They want to do that in discussions, just as Chad mentioned, they want to do that uh, in social networking. And... It's just facts. And we don't even know if the facts are true nowadays. There's so much information that is like flying around that has been falsified or people making up on the spot and things like that. And so knowledge, it it can be damaging. It can be damaging. And I think it's interesting that as... As we read all the social networking, you've got those that have want to express their opinions, those that want to like talk about things. But then you've got others that are saying, there's only one answer to this, and that's we need more love. We, we need more love. And so, really, this is all Paul is saying right here. He's saying, now about food sacrifice to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, puffs up but love... It builds up. You can talk all you want, but if you want somebody to hear them, hear you, you probably need to do it out of love. Paul's literally saying, hey, you just need to breathe a little bit this week. Just breathe. And as a pastor, that's what I want for you. I want you to be calm this week because everything is going to be all right. No matter what happens this week, everything is going to be all right. I go back to Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1. And it says, A king's heart is like channeled water in the Lord's hand. He directs it wherever he chooses. And so Solomon right there says this. The king may have authority. The president may have authority. But God has the ultimate authority. And that is who we need to keep our eyes on. That is why we need to just breathe. Because God is sovereign. God is on his throne. And he's going to take great care of you. All right? It may not go like you want. I get it. It may not go like you want. But God is on his throne. And he says, trust me. Verse 2, it says, If anyone thinks he knows anything, he does not yet know it as he ought to know it. Again, that's that know-it-all personality, one that knows it all. They find it hard to listen. (laughs) Rusty, you do this every week. You get up there and you give your knowledge. You give your knowledge like you know it all. No, I don't know it all. I don't know it all. And if you think that you have a different spin on it, I'd be glad to sit down with you and talk about it. I will listen to you. 
I mean, I think the whole reason that I'm up here this week is, or not this week, but this in this ministry is because at one point, uh, Keith sat down with me and said, hey, let me present to you a different uh, idea about the gospel. And as much as I kicked and argued and discussed and everything else, I eventually came to him and said, you know what, everything that I've learned my whole life, you're absolutely right and I'm wrong. And now I teach the gospel from the same book but from a different mindset. One that was based out of legalism and now it's based out of grace. And so I believe that you have to have this ability to not just know it all, but to be able to sit and to listen to other people's ideas and opinions. You, you don't have to agree with them, but be able to hear them. Verse 3, it says, but if, but if anyone loves God, he is known by him. Now, that's interesting because that makes it seem like, uh, well, let me say this. God takes the initiative. He takes the initiative in any human interaction. For God so loved the world. Like, I don't care if you choose or don't choose God. He still initiated it when he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So, even there, if anyone loves God, he's known by him. God knows who chooses to love him. Verse 4, it says this, about eating food sacrificed to idols. Then we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father. All things are from him and we exist for him. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ. All things are through him, and we exist through him. So now he's dealing with the question of them going to the temples. And he says, why take me sacrifice to idols and make it such an issue? Why has this become an issue? probably because some of the poorest believers in Corinth, they would go to the temple where sacrifices were made to the Greek gods, the Roman gods, three or four times a month. And this may be the only time they ever got to eat meat. Even the richest people would go and they would participate in eating the meat, but the poor people, that was the only time during the month that they got to do it. And Paul's literally saying, what's the big deal? Some of you are making this a bigger issue. Yeah, but Paul, they're worshiping Zeus and they're worshiping Aphrodite and they're worshiping all these different gods. And he's like, hey, you guys, you know there's one God. There's one God. No matter what they say, no matter what they sacrifice these animals for, there's one God and there's one Lord Jesus Christ, the Father and the Son. And he's like, it's okay for them to eat animals. 
Paul is not going to argue that Christians have full freedom to participate, yet, yet they have impact influence on those around them. He recognizes that there's going to be disagreements among them. So he's like, if I have a clean conscience, a clear conscience to eat, but my Christian brother or sister doesn't, then I probably should refrain. Watch this in verse 7. He says, however, not everyone has this knowledge. Some have been so used to idolatry up until now that when they eat food sacrificed to an idol, their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not bring us close to God. We are not worse off if we don't eat, and we are not better if we do eat. He's literally saying to him, you guys, it's really no big deal that this food has been offered to many other gods, false gods. It's just food. That's all it is. But I get it. I understand. There's some people in here that would have problems with you eating and partaking in that. And if that's the case, if that's the case, then you probably shouldn't partake. Some would think that, hey, isn't this a contradiction? Because when Paul was preaching the gospel and he was accused of teaching something totally different, the Jews brought him to task and he came back to Jerusalem and he met with Peter and James and the other disciples and they said, hey, there's a few things that you have to agree if we want our Jewish brothers to hear the gospel, you have to agree that you're not going to eat the blood from animals. You're not going to do certain things. And remember that whole letter that was in the first part of Acts. And Paul said, yes, we'll agree to those few things. That being the legal side of James' resolution. But you're really talking about the churches that were surrounded. That was on like... Paul's first missionary journey when he was up in Ephesus and Galatia and those areas that were surrounding Jerusalem. Now he's in Corinth where they're like worshiping gods and everything else. And that's kind of off the table at this point. I don't see it as a contradiction because this is a few years later and a whole different group of people. But here's the context. Entirely different. Is it okay for poor Christians who don't get to eat meat very often to eat meat at these special holidays? Even though it has been dedicated to pagan idols. And Paul's saying, yes it is. Verse 9 he says, but be careful that this right of yours in no way becomes a stumbling block to the weak. Those who think it's improper. For if someone sees you, the one who has knowledge, dining in an idol's temple, won't his weak conscience be encouraged to eat food offered to idols? Like, hey, if he's doing it, it's okay for me to do it as well. So the weak person, the brother or sister for whom Christ died, is ruined by your knowledge. Now when you sin like this against brothers and sisters... And wound their weak conscience, you are sinning against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother or sister to fall, I will never again eat meat so that I won't cause my brother or sister to fall. He just has said previously, it's okay to eat the meat. It's not that big of a deal. 
But if it's going to cause others to stumble, I don't want anything to do with it. He said, he called them brothers and sisters. That means he knows them well. When Chad came in this morning, he handed me a, I guess a bag of candy that was left over from last night because he knows we give candies to the kids. And as I walked back to the kids, the bartenders from Pinheads are taking inventory because it's November the 1st. And I stopped at the counter. I said, you guys want some chocolate? And the one guy goes, oh, you got Reese's. So I pulled out some Reese's and the other guy's like, Scotty says, no, I don't eat chocolate. I'm like, Scotty, you know you like a good Heath bar. And he goes, you got Heath? He's like, you know your flock. And I'm like, oh, that's such a good word. Do you know your flock? I think I know my flock. I think I know them pretty well. And so I'll take this food issue off the plate, and let's bring it to an issue that our society and our community even here is dealing with. It's the consumption of alcohol. The consumption of alcohol, this is really what Paul's talking about here. We're free to drink. I believe that. We, we are free. Come on, Jesus' first miracle that he ever did is he turned water into wine. It's not like we can't drink. I grew up Southern Baptist where, what was the... What was the, 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 Keith was telling a joke last night about going fishing with Southern Baptists. You, you can't go fishing with one Southern Baptist. You have to take two with you. Because if you take one with you, he'll drink all your beer. If you take two, they won't touch it. <laughs> so I grew up in a society where, you know, drinking and smoking and gambling and all that just like was off the table. But the truth is, Drinking is okay, all right? I do not have a problem with people drinking alcohol. But I have to measure the room and the situation for myself. I, as a pastor, have an impact on a room. I get that. When I walk into the room, the room changes, when I'm introduced in public, I hate being called a chaplain or a pastor because all of a sudden it just changes the whole environment of the room. On my business card, it says director because I have, just based upon my position, impact on the room. I get it. And alcoholism is typically a private issue because it causes others to see you as weak. Oh, they can't handle it. It's not any different than an identity issue or any other sin issue. It's kind of a private issue. So people in the room don't talk about it and they aren't necessarily aware of it. Like, you don't know all the alcohol issues in this room right here. I don't even know all the alcohol issues. I know a lot of them. I know a lot of them, but I don't know them all. Some of them have sought help. Some have discussed with me privately, and some are just obvious. 
But believe it or not, what I do impacts those around me. So I rarely get invited to alcohol socials. Rarely. Not to say that I don't. Well, why is that? Because some people are considerate enough to not put me in an awkward situation. I get that. Some people don't invite me because they don't want a suspected judgment to be passed upon them. And some of them just want to be free to do whatever they do. I get it. Others just don't want me around because they don't want me to see that they can't handle it. I rarely drink. I'm not saying I don't drink, but I rarely drink because I'm sensitive to my flock around me. And this is all Paul's saying in this right here is know the people that are around you and be sensitive to the issues that are going on. I'm talking about alcoholism, but I'm, there's, there's more than just alcoholism. There's all sorts of issues in this room, and so you have to be sensitive to that. And you have to know how to listen. You, know how, you have to know how to, I'm, I say it, behave around them. You need to be sensitive to what other people are thinking, feeling, although, you know, my thought on feelings, and the issues that they're dealing with. Paul is literally saying, it's not about me. It's about the others in this room. If it was Paul, he'd probably eat the meat. But looking around the room, everybody's looking at Paul, and he's probably not going to eat the meat. Because he's thinking about issues that are in the room. If your actions are going to lead to others stumbling, he's literally saying don't partake. And so that's where I find myself a lot, is not partaking. Because I'm trying to be sensitive to those around me. I'm not telling you stop drinking alcohol. I'm not saying that at all. Paul's just saying know the room. Know the issues. And if you don't, I mean, I've literally had friends that say, do you mind if I drink? They'll ask considerately. That's all Paul's saying. Are you really participating socially? If you're putting your own selfish desires first, that's the question. Then he gets to chapter 9 and he says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, at least I am to you, because you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. He's literally changed the whole content of his message right here. He's, he's like, what do I have to do to tell you that I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ? And I started thinking about this. Why does he continually do this? He does this like in the first four chapters. He tries to prove to them that he's an apostle of Jesus and that he's legit and they should be listening to him. And I'm I'm sitting there thinking, uh, uh, why does he have to do this? Well, first of all, the, the criteria for the apostles is this, is they are the ones that have 
actually watched the ministry of Jesus, watched him crucified and been resurrected. Those that saw him. You're not apostles, you're disciples. You're disciples of Jesus Christ. But they were literally there. Paul was a Pharisee at the time and he was there. He was on the other side of things. But he was there and he saw. But then he had this conversion experience on the road to Damascus and the Lord downloaded everything to him And it was as if he was there and he saw the ministry of Jesus. It was real to him. And so he's trying to prove his apostleship. Verse three, it says, my defense to those who examine me is this. Don't we have the right to eat and drink? Don't we have the right to be accompanied by a believing wife? Like the, excuse me. Like the other apostles, the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or do only Barnabas and I have no right to refrain from working? That's a great question right there. People go, okay, so is Paul married? Is he not? We still don't know if Paul's married or not. Was he married and she died and he's referred to himself as a widow in previous chapters? We don't know, but he's literally saying, right, if I had a wife, wouldn't it be okay for you to take care of me and to take care of her. And he's literally proving his personal ministry by asking a series of rhetorical questions right here. Shouldn't he and Barnabas be taken care of? Who does, who does what we do for free? The Greeks and the Romans, they're out here teaching and they're getting paid for this thing. No wait. Sounds like I'm promoting for a salary here, but that's not the case. He says, can I not participate like other Greco-Roman teachers and philosophers and leaders and to even like eat from their generosity? You realize that when it comes to benevolence in this group, in this group right here, that I cannot receive from Leavener funds without it being taxed as income? Did you know that? Like, we have a Leavener account, and we help families all the time, but my family cannot be helped unless it's considered income and we're taxed. It's like part of our salary. Now, don't get this confused. I'm not complaining at all because you guys take great care of us. You really take great care of us. I'm given a, a designated salary just like everyone else. But money given to Levener is put into a, a Levener account and is dispersed to help others, but not my family. I get a salary from it, but not to help when there's a crisis or need. Trust me, we're taken great care of. Yesterday, I received a great gift from one of our people here. A great gift. We're gifted things all the time. You give us gift cards. You take care of us. I'm not saying it at all. You just need to know how this place functions. And this is what Paul's saying, too, is like, you need to know how it functions here. Everybody that does what I do gets paid for it. Why shouldn't Barnabas and I get paid for it as well? And then verse 7, he says this, Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its fruit? Or who shepherds a flock and does not drink the milk from the flock? 
Am I saying this from a human perspective? Doesn't the law also say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses. This comes out of Deuteronomy. He quotes Deuteronomy. He says, do not muzzle an ox while it treads out grain. He's literally saying, don't overburden the ox that it cannot do its work. Is God really concerned about oxen? Isn't he really saying it is for our sake? Yes, this is written for our sake because he who plows ought to plow in hope and he who threshes should thresh in the hope of sharing the crop. There are provisions that are made for those who are laboring, obviously. And this is not my personal issue. This is Paul's at the time is what he's talking about. It seems as if he's still having problems establishing his credibility with the people. It's like, I... I'm doing this, I'm doing this, and it seems logical that I should be compensated for it. But watch in verse 11. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it too much if we reap material benefits from you? If others have this right to receive benefits from you, don't we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. He literally, for verses, says, This is okay to pay those who are teaching and giving the good news. But we haven't done that. We haven't taken that. What's Paul been doing? He's been making tents. He's a bivocational guy. Bivocational means he's doing something, making money on his own, and he's not taking anything. Listen to this. He's not taking anything from the Corinthians. I I haven't taken a dime from you guys. Even though it's our right to do that, even though it's been established in history and God says it's okay and everything else, I I haven't taken a dime from you guys. He's earned the right to receive such benefits, but he's refused to take them, at least from the Corinthians. He says, instead, we endure everything so that we will not hinder the gospel of Christ. Asking for money, demanding money for ministry, that can lead to all sorts of abuses. Paul wants to avoid every hint of these scandals. I I want you to see that that's not my case here. He wants to avoid every chance of a culture rife about taking money and using it for his own personal goods. Watch verse 13. It says, Don't you know that those who perform the temple services eat the food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the offerings of the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should earn their living by the gospel. Wait, he just said that it's okay for them to earn money, but I don't take money. But then he goes back and says, It's okay. It's okay. Paul's once again, he's declaring the right for those who share the gospel with others. They can earn a living this way. Although he refused to do it from the Corinthians. Oh, wait. Verse 15. For my part, I have used none of these rights, nor have I written these things that may be applied in my case, for it would be better for me to die than for anyone to deprive me of my boast. For if I preach the gospel, I have no reason to boast because I am compelled to preach. And woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. 
For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if unwillingly, I am entrusted with a commission. What then is my reward? To preach the gospel and offer it free of charge and not make full use of my rights in the gospel. If he preaches the gospel, it's his right to receive funds, to receive payment, to receive compensation. But I'm telling you, I'm not taking it. That's what he's saying. But it's interesting. It's interesting because we know that Paul accepts money and is grateful for it. When he writes the letter to the Philippians, he's in this Roman jail and the Philippians sent him money in 60-62. And he accepted it and he received it. We have instances of Paul receiving funds all throughout his trips, but to the Corinthian people, he's literally saying to them, I'm not taking your money because I want you to hear the good news. And I know that you've got Greeks and Roman philosophers around you that are doing this and making all sorts of money. Woe to me if you think that's why I'm doing this. I have good news to tell you, and I don't need your money. And I want you to hear the good news. So it was clear here that he's saying to the Corinthians, I'm doing this because God's called me to do this. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. If I walked, if I personally walked away from this ministry, do you think that I would stop telling the good news of Jesus Christ? Do you think if this wasn't in existence and I'm out selling insurance, that I'm going to stop telling about the good news of Jesus Christ. I can't imagine a world that I'm living in and walking around in that I cannot talk about the goodness of Jesus Christ. How I, as a sinner, as a sinner, someone who did wrong and had a broken relationship with God, was redeemed and made right because Jesus Christ came here on earth, he died on the cross, his blood was poured out, and I was completely forgiven. Past, present, and future. There's nothing in my life that I have done, am doing, or going to do that wasn't covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that he was buried, and that he rose again, he's sitting next to God, and they sent his spirit to come live inside of me, and he took my old sinful heart out, and he replaced it with a new heart, and made me a new creation, and the Holy Spirit lives in me, and he says, Rusty, you've screwed this up long enough, let me live your life for you. I'll do it. Just trust me. Just relax. It's going to be okay on Tuesday. Everything is going to be all right. Just trust me. Do you think that I would ever stop teaching that message? I'm thankful that you support me, that you support my family, that you take care of us, that you love us. We love you. But I promise you, if all this went away, I'm still teaching Jesus Christ. Still speaking grace, love, and mercy in a world 
and a time that definitely needs it. Father, I, I trust your word. I believe it with all my heart. I believe that as we walk this world together, as we struggle together, struggle knowing our identity and even wrestling with our flesh of old, that we do this together as a community, that we love one another, we take care of one another, we're, we know each other. But most of all, I, I trust you. I trust you to take care of us. I trust that this week, everything is going to be all right. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.